why don't you just DL it? Right. Yeah. That's a good question. And one I don't have a good answer to. It might be an overdraft, um, relatively speaking, but I think you sort of have to look at the the draft class more holistically. In addition to Mr. Finfrock, they took Fitz Stadler in the 18th round and Gage Berland. And welcome to Artificial Turf Wars, episode number 104, where we're still waiting for someone to draft us as a favor in the later rounds. I am uh, your draft eligible Greg Wisniewski, and I am joined by also draft eligible Nick Dyka. Nick, how are you doing? I'm I'm good, Greg, and all those MLB teams out there, uh, feel free to call or email, tweet at me, whatever, however you want to get in touch. I am I am available. Nick's ringer might be off, but he's watching the phone out of the corner of his eye. Oh, um, I don't know if I would want to continue to be drafted by the Blue Jays at this point because the Blue Jays are bad. Um, We can quantify how bad as we go down into the show, but they're really bad against their very very good divisional opponents. Uh, We're gonna have to talk about that. I apologize, but that's just how it is. Uh, Sam Gaviglio? Gaviglio? I like Gaviglio. Uh, Sammy G. Yeah, Sammy G is really good, which is just the weirdest thing so far this season. Uh, Marco Estrada. Hey, he looked good as well. I feel like Josh should have been here for this. Josh is away this week. Sorry, Josh. We'll still talk about Estrada and say a nice thing or two. Uh, And then we'll talk about, is it time to, not to sell, but is it time to talk about selling? Um, We have a question about that a little bit as well. Vlad Jr. is hurt a little bit. Not totally, but a little bit. Uh, I have an interview with uh, Jeff Paternostro of BP about the draft. And we have a couple of questions. Um, and uh, maybe, maybe we might finally be on to the change that made the baseball go weird. Though we're not 100% sure. And I have a gold star to hand out because I'm a nice guy this week. Uh, all right. So the Jays, we'll go right back to the, 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 the hard, the cold, hard facts. The Blue Jays are bad it certainly is starting to look like that is uh undeniable truth for the the 2018 season uh i know the last time i was on with with you and uh josh i was kind of still i was kind of still holding out hope you know they hadn't looked good but i thought they looked so good in in april that maybe they could kind of split the difference and you know they weren't as bad as they looked they weren't as good as they looked but you know, a couple of weeks later, it's starting to look like they might be as bad as they've been looking lately. Well, I, um, think, yeah, tough... I think one of the biggest problems is even if they're not as bad as they've been looking lately and they go back to playing slightly above 500 ball, which I think is maybe the true talent yeah. level here, it's not <laughs> anywhere near enough at this point. No, the, the Angels are looking awfully good. And, um, you know... I'm a little bit more skeptical that some of the other teams that are doing as well as they are right now are going to hang in it. Um, you know, that Mariners rotation has been hanging on and they've, they've been keeping them in games, but they don't seem as good as they've been pitching to date. And I mean, their best pitcher, James Paxton is obviously, I don't think he's ever thrown 200 innings in a season. He, he tends to get hurt. So I think, I think the real, the real issue is it's the angels specifically. I'm, I'm still not as, I think when we look up in kind of August, we'll see that the Twins and the the Rays and the Mariners are aren't showing the records that they're posting now. But um, yeah, I think that Angels team looks awfully good, and it's going to be hard for the Jays to to catch up. 
And I, I think in a, in a typical year where both wildcard slots appear to be in play, maybe I'm having a slightly different conversation, maybe a little less pessimistic, but you're right. right. The, the only team you're looking at is the second wildcard team. Uh, and as we record this, the Jays are 11 games out of that second wildcard spot on June 7th. Good Lord, Not that good doesn't though. sound good. Um, yeah. No. <laughs> um, and and how, are the, how have they been bad? Let me count the ways. Someone suggested... <laughs> That they, you know, make a list of all the different ways the Blue Jays have lost a game this year after in the 13th inning last night, allowing two home runs to the two best power hitters uh, probably in baseball uh, off of Joe Biagini. And there was an immediate bounce back that that would be too much work because Blue Jays do a lot of bad things. Uh, <laughs> the, the worst thing here, though, is against every divisional opponent, the people you play most, the Blue Jays, have had not a good time at all. Right. And I think that, again, comes from the fact that two of the best teams in the American League are in the Jays' division. And that's the reason, like we were saying, that there's really only one wildcard spot in play because the Red Sox and Yankees are so good that um, you're going to, most teams are going to lose a lot when they play the Red Sox and Yankees. And unfortunately, the Jays are experiencing that firsthand right now. You know, uh, hopefully, you know, they're playing the Orioles over the weekend. So hopefully that can maybe pad their interdivisional record a little bit. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm curious to see how long the Rays are running Sergio Romo out to the to the mound in the first <laughs> inning every night. But um, so so there is opportunity to improve. But, yeah, I, with the Sox and the Yankees, the division is just so good that it's the Jays are going to take some licks, I think, as, as long as they have to play them 19 times each. And I think the Jays are about 500. I for I, Josh, I usually count on to look these things up, but I believe they're about 500 against the Orioles. And the Orioles are, by any measure, a horrible team. So you would, I know this weekend's coming up with a four gamer, but you know you would have hoped by this point the Jays could at least capitalize on playing the Orioles a lot. Mm, not That's happening. Right. Um, <laughs> yeah. So I, just to to be absolutely clear, Jays, I believe, uh, swept in Boston when they went to Boston. And then a little two-gamer swept by the Yankees. So they've last, lost all of the last five games against those two divisional opponents. Yeah. Um, so. Silver linings. Yeah. Let's, let's talk silver linings. Okay. Um, <laughs> can't all be bad news. Uh, no, no. Sammy G. Sammy G. Sam Gaviglio. Uh, or Gaviglio, depending on how Italian you feel on a given day. Yeah. <laughs> I, <laughs> Don't ask me about pronunciations. Um, I just make them up as I go. Yeah, he he has been uh, shockingly competent at this starting pitcher thing. Yeah, um, and it's it's kind of really come out of nowhere. And in terms of like, you know, he was never a top prospect to my knowledge, and he uh, he doesn't throw particularly hard. Uh, it it, it kind of just looks like. You know, this year, even in Buffalo, he seems to be striking out more hitters and walking fewer batters. And that's not due to an increase in velocity or anything like that. But maybe he's unlocked something that's allowed him to kind of rein in his stuff and, again, produce better results. But it's uh, it's hard exactly to know what to point at that's that's made him so good so far this year. Again, and he, he was good in Buffalo, too, not, not just his, uh, his 30 innings in Toronto. So of the five Blue Jays starters, if you look at um, hits per nine, he's the best um, at 6.6. If you look at walks per nine, he is also the best. He's better than Jay Happ in terms of issuing walks. Um, 
he and of course that makes his and his strikeouts per nine he's third but his strikeout to walk ratio is only uh second next to only jay happ and jay happ is striking out like yeah. 11 guys per nine so it's very difficult <laughs> yeah. to, to compare yourself to jay happ who just basically walks in and strikes out the planet now for whatever reason yeah. so again he, he's every little aspect of his game is better than all those guys he's going up against on a regular basis uh which is pretty crazy uh, it's probably if he does it one more time, I would anticipate that upon Marcus Stroman's return, um, Gavilio will get the nod, possibly over Jaime Garcia to keep that last slot in the rotation. Right. I mean, given how the Jays have been playing, you've kind of got to do whatever you can to to win games at this point. Um, and I know what you've done in the past isn't necessarily predictive of what's going to happen in the future, but there's just not a lot of good reason to to take the ball out of his hands at this point well yeah because Jaime Garcia has the worst um whip on the staff um you know he's allowing hits at a crazy rate um other than right. striking a few people out he's really not doing anything uh well it, it no. just doesn't make sense to keep giving him a turn if if you have you know I, I mean Marcus Stroman's been awful but um you could definitely chalk mm-hmm. that up I think at this point to Marcus Stroman trying to pitch through something uh, and you may For discover sure. Strowman's a lot better when he gets back. Right. Um, the other thing with Jaime Garcia is I did a piece for BP Toronto and I was just looking at all the Jay starters and trying to pinpoint some of their struggles. Jaime Garcia's ground ball rate has plummeted. He's usually like around 50% uh, ground ball rate and he's down in the like low 30s. Uh, and so I think that's a big cause of his problems. And I'm not sure if he's still suffering through some of the shoulder issues he's had or there's there's another issue that's kind of causing the problem. But he looks like an entirely different pitcher than he's basically been his whole career, which is a guy who keeps the ball on the ground. And obviously, when you keep the ball on the ground, a lot less bad things can happen. Yeah. So those two things combined, um, that's... You know, it's it's a one good unexpected thing and one bad unexpected thing. Uh, yeah. so we've laid into Marco Estrada at, at having problems, you know, repeating the things he's done in the previous years. At yeah. least uh, where, um, you know, after having you know, the worst start of the season, uh, allowing four runs in 3.2 innings, woof, uh, he did bounce back against that very, very powerful Yankees offense, an offense that he has not done well against historically. Uh, and he managed to get out six innings and only allow one run. So I don't know if Marco's figured it out, but Josh keeps telling me it's a feel thing. So maybe he's he actually felt right uh, for once. Maybe Marco can build on that. Yeah, uh, hopefully. Um, you know what? And I know we were talking about when Marcus Stroman returns. Uh, you know, depending on how Estrada goes this next time or two through the rotation, I'm I'm going to say this. When Josh isn't here, but <laughs> it wouldn't be. I don't think it's crazy to maybe give the ball to Gavilio over Estrada. I know he did pitch well this week against the Yankees. Um, hopefully, he this is the the first in in a, in a turnaround. But overall, it's it's been an ugly year for Estrada, and you know, just with with his velocity and there's just no room for error. And I think you know we're seeing that firsthand when when he struggles this year and, and hopefully it is just a feel thing and he can get it back um but it's it's been ugly and as great as uh as great as monday or tuesday night was it's it's still if you look at his overall numbers for the year he's he's not been pitching well whatsoever no 
no and i mean but you only got you got five slots right um so you got to fill them up with somebody um right so the blue jay strategy in april was um basically sorry about the starting rotation we're going to hand it over to the bullpen who's going to gut it out and we're going to hit the snot out of the ball in the late innings and and make it work and that's pretty much all falling apart on on the offensive (laughs) side uh they have no regulars currently with well, I'll just throw OPS plus out there, which is, you know, 100 is average. There, there's nobody above um, 130. Justin Smoke, who is, you know, the team's star hitter right now, has, has one, a 128. Uh, there's several guys under 80. <laughs> Your DH <laughs> is at 59. Um, yeah, I don't know what you do with a lineup that that is more than half of it is below average. Like, it just what direction do you look in at this point it's yeah it's it's tough in may they've they've been 29th in run scoring in all of baseball so there's literally only one team that scored fewer runs than the jays in may um it's it's not looking great but again if, if we're looking for positives or silver linings it is a lot of the same hitters that were hitting at the snot out of the ball in april um you know devin travis has looked a little better since he's come back uh, you know, he's hitting about 290. Uh, he's striking out a lot more than he usually does, but, you know, he's looked a little better. Um, Teoscar Hernandez has kind of come back down to earth, but, I mean, he still looks like a, a productive-ish hitter. Um, so, they're, you know, they should be better than this, even if they're – and I by no means think they're like a top 10 offense or anything, but the Jays should be a little better than this. Um, you know, it's – it's it's not looking good though right now and you know it's hard to see the struggles of guys like russ martin i'm not sure what needs to happen for him to kind of turn things around um you know kendris morales is kind of in the same boat russell needs a time machine at this point i think yeah Um, and make sure there's two seats so kendris can get into yeah exactly roll back the clock day at the rogers center where we literally (laughs) roll back the clock on people genetically um it's it's new it's risky but uh, at this point it's worth a shot (laughs) um i don't know like i like russell don't get me wrong he's been throwing runners out which is something he wasn't doing last year uh but that that bat is woof um yeah it's it's rough so ultimately is it time to talk about selling do you think right well i think you know this is kind of the 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 easy but i think in a lot of ways the right answer it's like it all depends on what you can get um you know i know i saw somebody on twitter mentioning how in the past uh mark shapiro when he was running cleveland did tend to move early in terms of moving players. I think the they cited the CC Sabathia trade happening June as opposed to July. Um, I think it depends on what you can get, you know, and that's that is a big if. Uh, Josh Donaldson's not healthy right now. Uh, I mean, I know in the off season a lot of us were talking about how they didn't think that the Jays could get, uh, you know, a top twenty prospect for Donaldson in the off season, and so if they weren't going to get it then. I can't see them getting a big haul for somebody like J.A. Happ. That doesn't mean the market hasn't changed or anything like that, but um, it, it kind of all depends on, I think, what you think you can get for these guys. Because if ultimately, you know, you can't really get anything that's going to add significant value to the organization, 
throwing a qualifying offer on guys like like Hap and Donaldson might help bring these guys back for 2019 and 2020. Um, if that's a if that's an effective route to go to. I think for me, Hap is the easy guy to say sell on because he has been doing um, the the thing very well, strike people out um, without yeah. doing anything bad. And it, the the earlier you you let go of Jay Hap, you know, you give somebody fifteen starts of Jay Hap. Um, I think you could get something of decent value because there aren't a lot of other pitchers out there. Um, with contracts expiring. I mean, there is no ace with a contract expiring this year unless you count Chris Archer as an ace, and he's been, to my understanding, a little up and down in that role. Um, yep. But he's on yeah. the DL now, too. Well, yeah. <laughs> Forgot about that. Um, so yep. again, Hap is also healthy, uh, which is, is something that the sooner you know you look to move him, maybe the more you get because um, you're not, you know, someone else is building in that that risk of of not having options as time goes on um you know i i just don't see like either the blue jays are buying or selling ultimately right maybe not selling a whole lot because <laughs> there's not a whole lot to sell but i don't see them buying a couple of pieces that put them into contention that's my sort of take on it. it's like what 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 two yeah. or three players would fix quote unquote this team like bringing in a troy tulowitzki and david price equivalent I don't think that fixes this team. No, I, I I think to you know bring it back. Unless they've got one of those time machines you were talking about earlier, <laughs> this they they might be they might be just too far deep into a hole to come back. You know, and even if the team does play well, it's they've dug themselves a pretty massive hole to to dig out of. Yeah, the wrong year to to be in that particular hole. Um, so yeah. I guess we have one more depressing topic before we move on to <laughs> dreaming on the future. Uh, Vlad Jr. is hurt a little bit, like not a lot of bit, not like, oh, a part of his body fell off or exploded, but he mm-hmm. hurt his leg and then yeah. walked off under his own power and then he was gone for, was it three games? Something like that. Yeah. And then he came back as a DH and then he left in the middle of that game because his leg still didn't feel good. It's like, what? It's a seven-day DL in the minors. Why don't you just DL him? Right. Yeah. That's a good question. And one I don't have a good answer to. Um, and <laughs> So it's yeah. both of us, really. Uh, and I think with, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and honestly, with, with the team playing as bad as, as they are, <laughs> I feel like all the collective Jays community is following Vlad more than they're actually following the major league team at this point. Um, so get him healthy and get him on the field somewhere. Uh, I mean, we obviously know ideally that's in Toronto, but um, yeah, don't get him healthy. Don't take any chances. Uh, he's he's too precious of cargo to to run him out there if he's not feeling 100%. Yeah, and I mean, guys are going to get hurt. That's just, just yeah. you play, you're going to at some point get injured, small, you know, pulled hamstring or tweaked knee or ankle or whatever, or big, you know, um, and <laughs> and that's... I, think, I I always find it funny when people think, oh, let's just get this prospect up here and he's going to play and he's going to be fantastic. Well, always tag if he's healthy on the end of that, which I don't think happens right. often enough. There's just sort of this assumption that you can't get hurt until you're on the big league team or something. <laughs> I don't know. It's like yeah. all those risks are there. It's like when you call up an arm for the bullpen, oh, they need a fresh arm. Well, right. okay, that guy was pitching mm-hmm. in Buffalo. <laughs> he... He yeah, <laughs> probably pitched recently. It's like it's not like he's been sitting around yeah. all week going, "Man, I wish I could pitch somewhere." 
Uh, yeah, he's got his arm wrapped in bubble wrap, waiting, yeah. waiting for the call. Yeah, it's um, not like the bullpen phone's just ringing in Buffalo. Nobody will pick it up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I I'm far too removed from the situation to to comment in it with any kind of speculation or anything. But I know I have listened to people who are closer to the game. You know, people like Eno Saris talk about how when you do have a bigger body, which I think that is fair to say Vlad has a bigger body that yeah. you are more prone to two injuries and, and things that can keep you off the field. Um, so I think maybe this is a kind of maybe a little reminder that Vlad might be hurt, um, you know, more, more often than an average player again. And that's, that's not to say that's going to happen. It's just that again, over large periods of time and large swaths of data, people people that are you know carrying more weight tend tend to get injured more often and by all accounts vlad jr is a bigger boy than his dad ever was and i i don't know if i'd ever want to run into vlad senior (laughs) no 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 yeah Yeah. um so the blue jays uh did have a draft uh and i i have an interview about the draft but did you have any just sort of overall impression of the draft or anything you read stand out to you before we we go in depth with it with uh uh mr paternostro no, not particularly, other than I think that the, the Jays are on to the next market inefficiency, which is drafting the sons of major league players. It's Sunny Ball, as we were talking about online. Sunny Ball, there we are. So yeah. I do discuss whether Sunny Ball was the big factor um, with, uh, with our interview uh, coming up right now. So we'll get right to that. And uh, I'm pleased to be joined by Jeffrey Paternostro of Baseball Prospectus because we're going to do a little draft talking. And as usual, I'm a bit lost when it comes to the draft. So welcome to Artificial Turf Wars, Jeff. Thanks for having me. Uh, A pleasure um, that you could make it and and stop by. So the Blue Jays have had a, a little bit of an unconventional draft, I guess. So why don't we start at number one, their very first pick, uh, which was, what was he? overall 12th overall jordan groshans um who is a shortstop third baseman apparently this guy was not really on anybody's first round board yeah so i don't pay a ton of attention as a general rule to big boards because in a lot of cases you're looking at these as sort of like aggregate from scouting and coaching sources and any individual team's board is going to be a little bit bit different and it often just takes one to really buy into a guy and also you have sort of the nature of the bonus pools and i could see groshans being a little bit under slot given sort of the shape of the rest of their first few picks i can't say that for sure and historically speaking i'm terrible at actually predicting this game um (laughs) you know talking to some scouts that did see him they definitely had him more of a second round guy you know i see him as a third baseman long term because of the frame everybody's a shortstop in high school as i like to say uh he's a power over hit guy a, a comp that i heard come up is hudson potts in the padre system okay um it is that really what you want at 12 i don't know but he's a very good prospect you know, chance to be a, a regular dude at third base with some pop. And, you know, looking at what they got the rest of the way, I don't think you can just 
look at, you know, pick 12 and he was ranked 31 on MLB's top 200 and say, well, this was an overdraft. It might be an overdraft, um, relatively speaking, but I think you sort of have to look at the the draft class more holistically. Um, so he isn't an, an isolated um, pick, like you said. So uh, I guess he's really tied to maybe pick three or pick pick four. Um, but the the second pick we should not skip over uh, because the Blue no. Jays did something that they, uh, I guess, are suddenly famous for doing. They picked the son of a former major leaguer. <laughs> yeah. I don't know so if that's the actual it, strategy. The <laughs> but... Uh, so yeah, Griffin Conine is Jeff Conine's son. Has a tremendously Duke University name, too. Mm. But uh, had a good Cape Cod season last year. Led the, led the Cape in homers. Was seen, I think, probably coming into the college season as one of the better college bats in the draft. Maybe not sort of on the top tier of the guys that went like in the top five or six, but certainly a first-round pick. And then he started selling out for power. He has a lot of power. Uh, you know, it's plus plus raw, despite you know not being a not being a huge guy with big strength or big levers at the plate. And he had a really sort of bad start to the season uh, in the ACC. You know, worked it out from there. Showed more of sort of the that first round pedigree in the second half of the season. And you know, I think probably. The Jays got a nice little piece here, given when they drafted. Um, you know, sort of the you know the converse of the of the Groshans pick. Um, you're buying the bat here. He's fine in right field. Uh, he's gonna need to hit for a lot of power because he's a he's a corner outfielder. You know, you like the you like the bloodlines. You like the raw. You know, you send him to Dunedin next year, and you just see where you are. Do you think maybe the Blue Jays saw something that wasn't broken when they first looked at him and then he broke it in terms of selling out for power and they think they can fix that? Uh, I think, you um, you know, we're in the uh, we're in the midst of the launch angle revolution, as they like to say. So you look at the skills that guys get paid for in Major League Baseball and certainly in the draft as well. You know, it's it's big power for hitters, especially if you're a corner profile like Conine is. And it's big fastballs, velocity for pitchers. And I guess now spin rate, too, to a certain extent. You know, that's certainly always in these. these look, these guys read their press clippings. They know what's going on. That's uh, in the back of their mind that, you know, was he pressing to have like a big junior season to, to move up draft boards and sign out for power a little bit? It's certainly possible. Could also just be a, you know, a 25-game blip. You know, he just sometimes... It's just bad timing and you have a, a bad stretch at the beginning of your junior season when you're, you know, and all eyes are on you. Um, I think, again, much like with with Groshans, you're looking at a potential, you know, everyday regular in the majors where the sort of the power end of the bat is going to have to carry the carry the load. Fair enough. So the Blue Jays strategy maybe comes into, uh, like you said, more of a holistic focus as we get to pick number three, which was 88th overall. Adam Kloffenstein, who, uh, in a curious twist, is actually a teammate of their first round pick. Yes, they're both from out of Magnolia High School in Texas. Does that really move the needle in terms of getting these guys signed? I think it's a nice story uh, with them coming up together. I'm sure you'll see 
features written about it because it's going to be an easy feature for somebody on March 15th in spring trading when you might need an easy thousand words. But, you know, ultimately you're not taking this guy if you don't know. You can sign him and, and know what his number is. He's going to take a lot of money uh, to sign. That was sort of the report coming into the draft. The Blue Jays weren't the only team on him even uh, earlier than the third round. And one of the reasons he dropped as far as he did was likely his his asking price. But again, if you're taking this guy in the third round, you you think he's signable and you're signing him because he's a gigantic kid from Texas. And those dudes that, you know, gigantic kids from Texas that can hit 95 coming out of high school are always in demand. And there's always a lot of them, funnily enough. So, yeah, he is only 17 years old. Um... Yeah, he is a younger guy. Um, so. There's some projection left. You know, normally you think of a, you know, a six foot five, 17 year old Texan, you're thinking, oh, well, he'll, he maybe he can grow another inch or two and the frame fills out and might add some velocity. And that, and that may happen, but he's, he's a big boy. He's not like a, you know, a Dustin May esque or Noah Syndergaard esque string bean coming out of uh, Texas high school. But, you know, it's, he's a, you know, conversely, he's a little more advanced than those guys. He's got three pitches, good command, good mechanics. Um, could be a, a faster mover than your average, you know, third round or second, third round prep arm going forward. So that's something to to keep an eye on, like how hard they push him despite his uh, young age. I mean, normally you see these guys in this general range go, you know, stay in the complex July and August pop up an extended spring and then go to one of the short season affiliates uh, for their first pro season. It, you know, it's not impossible. They push him to, to the Midwest league. If he shows well, you know, this stuff works itself out in the next nine months, but you know, he's a, he's not sort of your traditional big projectable body. You can dream on Texas prep, right? There's, there's a little bit of that in there, but it's not like there's some polish there as well, which is nice with that pick. I was going to say, he doesn't appear to have any real warts. Um, like, when you look at the scouting grades that we have over at BP Toronto, he's, you know, fastball of 60. Um, everything else is a 55 or a 50. Um, he, you know, he's he's not, he seems well-rounded for a kid who is only 17. Yeah, it's not going to be, a, again, it's not a case where you're, where he's got huge, huge stuff, or even like a huge, huge projection to stuff. He's just a a big kid that throws hard and knows how to pitch and it's a it's a nice prep arm where they got them so sort of i think if you look at the first three picks as a as a unit um it's like it's a nice bit of drafting you know you have some balance there you have the more advanced college bat you have a you know a power hitting you know, prep shortstop that's going to be a prep corner guy and you've got a you know a big prep arm as well all right so um possibly in you know in less detail we we will touch on round four pick sean weimer another right-handed pitcher um thoughts on his his projectability sean weimer is every fourth round college pick which is i don't know I i don't mean it as a slight but it it just i guess it sort of is it's just you know, he was in the bullpen in TCU, started some this year. You know, it's it's a major college program. That's a lot of good arms that have passed through. Um, he's got four pitches. 
he's pinned either side of 90 for the most part. Um, he's polished. It's not a ton of projection. He's a shorter righty. You know, these guys tend to end up in sort of a weird in-between spot where it's like, you know, is there enough stuff slash command here to start? Occasionally there is. There's not a clear relief fallback. Um, like sometimes you'll get a guy that's like, oh, in the fourth round that's, you know, up to 95 and has a pretty good slider, but his command's a mess or there's been durability issues in the past. Like, oh, well, it'll play up in relief. He could be an eighth inning guy. You know, Weimer doesn't have that kind of stuff. Um, so you just kind of, again, set him on his way as a starter in the minors and see where it goes from there. All right, and then the, the the last guy that I was thinking about here, talking about, was round five pick, Christopher Beck, who is notable to me because he appears to have a K missing off at the end of his last name, and, and nothing else. He's a catcher uh, who, as I have a note here, it says he did not make Baseball America's top 500, but he was drafted sure, 146. A, he is a senior sign out of the University of Maine. I actually saw him uh, when they were down here in Hartford. Because I was seeing uh, Jeremy Pena, who I think went in round three to Houston. He's Geronimo Pena's kid. If you want to feel old as I do every <laughs> single day, I do this now, especially on draft day. Let me tell you. Oh yeah. Um. um so I, I wish I had more information for you on Christopher Beck. I recall him having a really excellent mustache at the time. Ooh. He had like he had like some flow and mustache going on. Excellent, as I recall. But. Uh, I can tell you that he's a senior sign in the fifth round where the pick value is 357,000. He's probably not getting that. Um, so this is a, a bit of accounting, essentially. Um, they also took senior signs in the ninth and the tenth round, which I assume are going to be, you know, of the 10,000 variety to clear another couple hundred thousand. You know, uh, Beck will clear that on his own as well because they're finding money for, I think, for the most part, Kloffenstein here, based on what I heard before the draft on what he was fishing around for, for a bonus. So I'm sure that's just, uh, you know, sometimes these guys make it absolutely. Um, but this is, yeah, you know, good for Christopher Beck. He is going to, uh, spend some time in the Northwest league probably. And then, uh, you know, it's a bit of, it's, it's actually not all that dissimilar from being in Portland, Maine, honestly. So, uh, I'm sure he'll, uh, the, the mustache will fit right in, certainly. <laughs> well, the Jays are notoriously else. horrible at developing catchers uh, uh, with any consistency, as I'm sure a lot of teams Danny, are. Danny Jansen's good. I like Danny Jansen. Yes, Danny Jansen appears to be the exception rather than the rule, <laughs> as Max Pentecost. Yeah, I mean, yeah, happy. Reese McGuire, Max Pentecost. <laughs> and, uh... Uh, I don't know if we're going to slight J.P. Aaron Sivia at this point or not, because he did make the majors, but yeah, that's another he did, story. He had a nice, he had an okay career. J.P. Uh, Aaron Sivia is a developmental success i guess so in that light I, i'll ask you my my final question which is more of a philosophical question do you think no. major league teams are getting any better at this draft thing because unlike the other major sports we pointed out over and over again the draft after the first two or three at picks not rounds picks is way more of a crapshoot in baseball it seems than any other sport yeah i think you have to I mean, the short answer is no, based on <laughs> uh, you know the majority of the research I've seen. But 
it's also a changing system with with the way the draft pools have changed uh you know the last two or three cbas you know it used to be even as of 2011 you could really spend whatever you wanted in the draft and all it would get you was a stern phone call from the commissioner's office now we have these draft pools with suggested slots you know the teams manipulate by doing things like taking christopher beck in the fifth round and we don't have a system where so i mean i guess the idea of a draft is that you are uh, allowing the worst teams to get the best players in an attempt to you know maintain competitive balance across the league really as we know it's to hold down player salaries and player costs mm-hmm. but you know in in this sort of world this theoretical fantasy we've constructed the system we have now doesn't really do that because you know look casey mize went one one we can hem and haw about pitchers versus hitters and whether you, know, you might find someone that liked nick madrigal more absolutely fine you might find someone that liked joey bart more um or even alec bohm but you know the, for all intents and purposes the best draft prospect went to the worst team with the number one pick this year that tends not to happen um in this system because for the tigers there's certainly a scenario where the tigers could have signed i don't know jonathan india who went number five overall to the reds they could have signed him for five and a half million which is probably more than he'll make going number five for the reds and a lot of people had him going either five or six uh, in their mock drafts and they've saved three million to spend on other players um, you know throughout the draft and they did not get the best player in the draft but the nature of the baseball draft is you don't necessarily even want the number one best player you know if it's a generational player like bryce harper or steven strasberg or someone like that mm-hmm. you want as many opportunities to get a good player as you can um, and because of the way the draft you know, it falls off. You know, you can look at the drafts of average player war for the first 30 picks and even beyond that. But if you're pushing guys that are top 15 talents further down because you can offer them more money, you know, that gives you more shots at, you know, developing a star. You know, the one thing the Astros did, and we can look at sort of like the Astros roster as constructed and debate how much the hard tank they did actually contributed to their world series winning team you know being able to get carlos correa at one uh under slot and also getting lance mccullers in the second round because of that was a big factor now there were it was a weird draft you know carl some people did think carlos correa was the best prospect in that draft i mean there were six guys that could have gone number one and the astros found the one that they liked that would meet their price for what they wanted to pay under slot there and make the rest of the draft play out the way it did. I think they also signed Rio Ruiz, who they traded for uh, Evan Gaddis, I think. So that gives you a third guy there. I think Ruiz wasn't the only one in that deal. So our team's getting better at identifying these players. I don't know, but they're getting better at figuring out ways to get more good players into their system. This is sort of the, the, you know, the Paul D. Podesta and the Cleveland Browns argument. We're actually don't think we're better at drafting. So we just want to get as many picks as possible. Hmm. That's food for thought. All right, folks. Uh, I would like to thank Jeff Paternostro and remind you that if you enjoy his take on prospects, you can follow him on the Twitter at Jeff Paternostro. 
we've made it very easy it's no spaces no underscores nothing yeah it just i think it's the exact number of letters i can actually use on twitter too perfection perfection indeed um or you can check out his stuff of course at baseball prospectus um thanks for joining me tonight and uh, i hope you have a good one thanks for having me i think it's the first blue jays hit i've ever done and not talked about vlad guerrero jr well now you did (laughs) yeah there you go (laughs) all right have a good one and we are back and uh yeah so i think an update on the mustache and flow of a prospect at this point is probably just as relevant as his batting stance and or fielding ability (laughs) so we got that i mean you know we got at least one mustache flow update which i mean you've got the mustache and beard working so you know how important that is yeah so my question would just be do you think he's older than he's suggesting he is given that his mustache and flow are are so strong (laughs) you don't see that a lot with 18 or 19 year olds um i can't remember he was the college sign or not but yeah it did i don't think it's as suspicious as if he had come from a uh a uh, a country in the central american place where uh area where, where they're a little fast and loose with the birth certificates um regardless i'm not accusing anyone of identity theft uh i'm accusing you (laughs) folks of asking us questions and us answering them time now to hear from our listeners that just seems silly here are the rules first i ask a question then you ask a question now how does that sound sweetheart could you repeat the question, please? Yeah, all right. Right off the top, we have Josh, who I believe is a new question asker. I do not know at trick or treats, which is T-R-E-I-T-Z, if you'd like to follow Josh. Uh, what players on this current roster, we have to have one Josh per podcast. I just want you to understand that. Um, what players <laughs> on this current roster would you be uncomfortable trading right now? Do you have, do you have two or three who you'd be like, mm, I don't think so? Right. Um, I think that you'd probably want to hold on to Stroman and Sanchez, just given that one, you have more control with, with those two than you do with a lot of the players on the team. And two, their values are just so much lower than they could be right now. You know, with, with Stroman hurt and Sanchez not pitching well, it seems like it would be a real, you know, sell low opportunity to, to try to trade them now. So I'd hold on to them for sure. And, and plus, you need somebody to pitch next year uh, for yeah. the team. <laughs> this is yeah. this is maybe going to be an issue. Uh, I think I hang on to um, Teoscar Hernandez, um, and for sure, Justin yeah. Smoke. I would still not be comfortable trading because he's stupid cheap for I believe one more year. I believe in 2019 he's still ridiculously underpriced. Yep, best uh, best option in baseball for next year. I we think got it's like the, three million dollars. The, the best something in baseball. <laughs> it's one thing. Uh, what do you got for me next? Okay. Oh, wait. No, I should so ask you. Sorry, I should ask you this question. It's Vlukomir yeah. Guerrero Jr. at Split Letters. Rate the Jays draft picks by quality of name, which also, in addition to flow and mustache, is another important metric at this point in their <laughs> careers. That's right. And uh, the Jays international scouting department did some very good work late in the draft this year when they took with the uh the pick in the 29th round somebody named sri finfrock uh c-r-e is his first name so i think i'm saying it right sri and in addition to mr finfrock they took fitz stadler in the 18th round and gage berland 
in the 22nd round. So if anybody is looking to check into a hotel under a pseudonym, <laughs> those are some good recommendations. No, I got to ask, how, how many people name their kid Fitz these days? Yeah, I always thought Fitz was kind of like a nickname. You know, like if your last name was Fitzsimmons or Fitzgerald or something, then, oh, it's Fitz. Yeah, um, yeah I didn't see it as a, as a first name, but um, hey, you can name your kid whatever you want, really. Yeah, well, yeah, you can apparently spell it however you want these days, which is, I got to confess, yeah. starting to get on my nerves <laughs> just a little bit. Yeah. Um, uh. Like you're just making it tough for everybody. You're making it tough for the kid who has to spell his name all the time. You're making it tough for me <laughs> yeah. who has to ask all the time when I assume that I know how like Jeff or Fred is spelled. Anyway, um, right? Yeah, or the right. 17 different ways ways you can spell Casey. Oh, <sighs> yeah, there's I think a bunch. I may have gotten off the topic. Uh, perhaps we should <laughs> go back to a question from our listeners who are you know the real the real stars of this section. Um, Kate Stanwick at OK Stan. As, it's, a, it's a question we had touched on earlier. Is Sam Gavilio for real? Yeah, and it's yeah, it's 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 kind of hard. It's kind of hard to say so early on. But again, if you you look at his entire minor league career, there's nothing that screams he's capable of doing this. But at the same time, if you look at his like peripheral stats, like FIP and XFIP, they're both under four too. So. Uh, he hasn't been getting particularly lucky. It's just that the things he's been able to do are just new for him. You know, he's never struck this many guys out, never walked this many guys, never stopped walking this many guys. Um, so it's it's hard to say, but um, usually performance like this doesn't come out of nowhere. Um, so it's if you were a betting woman kate i wouldn't bet that he's going to continue to have an era under three uh, striking out nine guys per nine innings no i think you have to ask the question how good is his command really in the long run can he keep repeating and repeating and repeating and like you said his minor yeah. league career says no he can't keep repeating that um low walk rate and of course, a low right. rock, walk rate will tie into the home run rate and the strikeout rate and everything else. So uh, if you watch for that to tick up, I think Sam has a problem. But until then, Sam is still better than all the other options out there, even if he regresses a bit. Yeah, my, my best guess would be uh, a good season for him would be if he can keep his ERA under four, you know, and uh, keep his K rate north of eight for the year. I'd say that's a pretty successful season for, for him. Indeed. What do we got next? All right. So from the Blue Jays Village, they ask at Blue Jays Village, for the remainder of the season, New Hampshire plays at the Rogers Center and the Blue Jays play in New Hampshire. Thoughts? Uh, that sounds fun. Uh, I think really you're focused on like two, maybe three guys on that New Hampshire team uh, playing yeah. up here because I, I pretty much am sure that the New Hampshire pitching staff gets slaughtered by Major League Hitting. Uh, yeah, you... You think you don't like Joe Biagini out there <laughs> facing Stanton and Judge? Wait, wait till uh, you know last year's Fitz Stadler, who was drafted in the 18th round, pitches against them. Oof. Yeah. Uh, so I, I think as as much a novelty as that would be for a week, uh, I do not think the remainder of the year would be anything that that anybody would actually be buying tickets to by by August. Sadly. Yeah. Um, now mm -hmm. that said, I think there are probably probably two maybe three guys who you could try out there before september and see what happened um 
but they're all very young. Uh, even Biggio, who's I believe 23, 22, 23, um, is is younger than you would expect necessarily to make that jump from Double A right to the majors. So for what it's worth. That's right. Uh, yeah. Last question: If either of you were to take someone to their first ever MLB game at the Rogers Center, and to be fair, I've only ever attended an MLB game at the Rogers Center, uh, and they're a baseball noob, what would you try to do to make sure they have a very positive experience? Right. Well, for me, I would try to engage them with as many kind of communi- community elements that surround the team and, and the Rogers Center as possible. You know, I'd make sure that they go see the guy playing the drums uh, outside, was it gate usually seven? Um, you know, I'd, I'd maybe try to take them to a bar that's really close to the stadium beforehand to, so they can kind of, again, get the feel for, of, you know, kind of fan culture and things like that. Um, and then most importantly, I'd make sure the game wasn't in 2018. So they didn't have to watch the 2018 Blue Jays. <laughs> Solid strategy. Uh, I would add two things there. Um, one, I would make sure that uh, we had food either that we brought in with us or uh, that was from around the stadium as opposed to in the stadium. Although there are good options in there for during the game. I think you want to bulk up on the food. And there's a lot of good food in Toronto. Uh before yeah. you go in, before you spend $11 on a hamburger with like four, ch- uh, four French fries. Yeah. Uh, because they let you do that. And as much as it says on your ticket, you can't do that. No, go right ahead and do that. Um, I think uh, I would tell them to, for the first game, don't worry about bringing your camera. Uh, camera's not going to help you. It's just going to distract you. Uh, if they're really a baseball noob, I certainly, I would buy a program. I would show them, you know, um, as much as I could about the players who, who were going to be playing that tonight. Uh, get there early enough to show them the warm-ups. The opposing team you're usually watching do you know batting practice. That's kind of lets you get settled in. And then lastly, I would get a ticket in the 200s uh, behind home plate or down one of the baselines. I think that's the best view in the Rogers Center. You're high enough up that you can see everything that's going on the field, but you're close enough that you get an idea of just how fast the action is on the field. And you know what, if I can add something to it too, I'd say spend a little bit of time in the flight deck. I feel like that's kind of the most uh, social area of, of the Rogers Center as it's currently configured. We'll, we'll see what happens when, when Mark Shapiro gets his millennial hangouts installed. But uh, until then, go to the, spend a little bit, an inning or two in the flight deck too. Millennial Zone Part 2. <laughs> They should just name Millennial Zone 2 Millennial Zone 2 and see who shows up. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Family Center 1. Yeah. <laughs> it's so romantic. Um, so <laughs> I, I just want to touch on yet another the baseball is different thing uh, because I thought this article was fascinating. First of all, uh, it's in The Athletic. Uh, second of all, it's not paywalled, which is pretty cool because just about everything in the athletic is paywalled. It was written by, and I have it here, uh, Dr. Meredith Wills. Uh, she wasn't able to get as many baseballs, perhaps, as the official committee run by our fr- uh, friend of podcast, Dr. Ellen Nathan, was. But she took the baseballs apart into their component pieces and took a look at each piece. The most significant change here that nobody's really looked at is the thread that is used for the seams has a thicker diameter by i believe more than one standard deviation but you can read the article um which means that it's possible that how tightly now this is not seam height that's different uh, how tightly the the hide is on the ball might be different um and it would also maybe explain why some pitchers who are gripping along the seams are getting more blisters is because 
the actual thread is thicker for each little uh, each little stitch. Um, that could also explain that the ball being tighter is less prone to being distorted when it's hit. And of course, a rounder ball flies better and a little bit farther. That's that's all a bunch of guesswork, and maybe someone will have the chance to go down. But just another thing, I was fascinated, uh, another way to look at changes that might have happened to the ball without anybody really noticing. Somewhere out there, Rich Hill is nodding his head in agreement with you, Greg. <laughs> and um, yeah. Rich Hill knows what's up. <laughs> yeah. Um, to avoid all of this going, I guess, spiraling out of control, Major League Baseball bought Rawlings um, for $395 million this week, which... Um, That's right. Yeah, according to the Wall Street Journal, part of that is so that they can get a handle on what goes on with the ball directly. Uh, and I, I think probably a, a sports league supplying its own equipment, that seems to be to, to make sense. You know what I mean? Yeah, definitely. I'm curious to know how that's going to affect players and, and Rawlings baseball gloves, because I know uh, Rawlings gloves are still definitely widely used in the majors. And I'd be curious to know if kind of the the quality is going to go up or down now that um, basically players are buying gloves from their their owners if they choose to use Rawlings. Yeah, yeah, that's kind of weird, but um I mean, that's not the worst thing that can happen. I guess you got that quality control issue as well that you can now complain directly to your your MLB yeah, ownership if right. things go, go a little sideways. Uh, yeah. Lastly, I was going to throw out a gold star because we haven't done one in a little while. I think that's rather brilliant. So I did good, right? I mean, I would have thought you'd get a gold star. You enjoy that. You've earned it. So you tell me pre-2018 about the Blue Jays specifically Twitter account, but the Blue Jays' general social media strategy. How, how, did, how do you think people felt about that strategy? Um, you know what? I, this kind of ties into all that talk about the Twitter study that got released last week. I don't know that I pay as much attention to the Blue Jays' actual social media accounts as I do, again, just people I know that comment on the team and you know, the odd player, but even players I don't follow very often. So I might be the wrong person to ask, Greg. I I mean, they they do a good job at conveying all the important information, like what time games are starting and who's pitching and things like that. Um, but aside from that, I don't follow them too closely. But you know that in previous years, uh, the Cleveland Indians account um, and uh, a couple of uh, the Oakland A's account, sometimes even I believe the Brewers, um, there's been some back and forth. Um, there's yeah, been, some, yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. I've yeah. Seen that. The Blue Jays yeah. were never in on any of that fun with their Twitter account. Uh, it mm -hmm. was like you said, it was at first it was strictly informational. Uh, and then when it tried to be one thing or another, it would generally be like three innings too late. And, and they were showing <laughs> like an old highlight from like two weeks ago that didn't really apply because the guy was in the wrong uniform. Yeah. And <laughs> there were a lot of things. I don't. I don't want to say tone deaf because that makes it sound like they were rude or something. <laughs> but th there was just sort of this, uh, like the person working the account was really busy with a lot of things, uh, but had committed right. to run the account, <laughs> so they were going to mm -hmm. do it. And again, it was my Ross Atkins. Yeah. yeah, exactly. My apologies to whoever ran the account at this point, but I, I just want to make clear that there is a significant difference this year. The, it they respond to people who tweet about the team. 
uh, like there's a real person on the other end who is an actual Blue Jays fan who understands what's going on. Uh, the highlights that they give, usually in gift form, are actually from earlier in the game, like you would expect them to be, not from like some stock photo um, inventory <laughs> that they have. Um, and they've done something so far very difficult. They have, they have remained positive and cheerleadery because I don't think an official account can tell you that your team is crap and you shouldn't watch. Um, you know, which we might feel that way sometimes as fans. They they maintain that positivity without uh, ignoring the fact that you know the Blue Jays yes might be behind or or might not be in the best situation uh, you know this series or this game or whatever that that focus on tomorrow when things aren't going well to do all of those things right after years of having sort of kind of just left them to blow in the wilderness I think deserves a gold star so shout out to the Jays social media team um, you guys because I assume it can't just be one person at this point uh you guys are doing a bang up job and uh and i hope they keep you on you know for for years to come because it, it's worth following that account now if you don't um it, it definitely has as a nice little spin to it yeah um maybe i should be following it uh now that now that i know they're actually kind of upping their game yeah you should you should you should hop on and then yeah. next time we have you on you can you can tell me whether i wasted your time or not <laughs> Uh, okay so uh we come to that point in the show uh where wait, it's not really a show i guess it's a program because you're not showing people anything but we come to that point <laughs> where i ask nick if he has a final thought um yeah actually to continue uh raining praises down on our last place team uh i just want to say kudos on the jays for having a pride night at the ballpark it's tomorrow night against the orioles i will be there i'm excited to go and uh, see what they have planned and uh yeah it's a it's about damn time and it also like everything you were saying about their social media team they seem to be kind of responding to the kind of needs and the wants of the fan base in a positive way and uh, and just aside from all of the corporate gobbledygook i think it's just a really amazing way to integrate different parts of the community into, into the baseball experience. And I'm looking forward to being there. And I, I agree with you totally that, uh, you know, getting the right community message out there is, uh, is certainly not going to hurt in terms of, uh, you know, attendance and who feels welcome at, at the ballpark. And that's important, yeah. uh, especially when the team on the field, the product does not match up to any of those expectations <laughs> at the moment. That's right. Um, I do not have a final thought this week. I don't think. I think I'm just going to leave that for when the Jays have won back-to-back games, which they have not done since our last podcast, <laughs> which they had not done since the end of April. Um, sure, they can figure that out. Maybe against the Orioles. Uh, that said, this has been uh, Artificial Turf Wars episode number 104 i have been a greg wisniewski at coolhead 2010 and you have been nick dyka at nick dyka and our guest was uh jeffrey paternostro at uh jeff paternostro funny that um uh, from baseball perspectives we thank him very much for giving a in-depth look at the first little bit of our uh, 2018 blue jays draft that said we will talk at you next week mm-hmm.